electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. Well, it is not the weekend just yet, but hello, everybody. And Scott's right. Take a deep breath. I am Brian Sullivan, and this is an incredibly busy Friday, capping off a wild week of trading, not showing signs of slowing down today. The Reddit rally rolls on, but for only some stocks. But even a double dose of positive vaccine news can't keep the overall markets higher. Has the fiscal sheriff come for Robin Hood? It's forced to raise capital. Too many big bets on GameStop, sending it scrambling for more money. Does it put the entire company at risk? And New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio says that companies need to do this to really ramp up the vaccine rollout. We'll talk about that with the mayor and ask him about when the Big Apple can really reopen. That's all ahead. There is so much going on right now on this busy Friday. Markets are down in a big way. Dom Chu and his smart board of stocks to watch. And Dom, it's up 500 one day, down the next. It seems like this is, at least this week, the new normal. The new normal for this week is right because there's continuing chatter among trading desks about a gross down or a taking down of risk on the short and the long side for many folks out there. It's something to keep an eye on. But what it's leading to right now is the Dow down 657 points. At the lows, we were down roughly 707. That just happened in the last 15 minutes or so here. The S&P 500 down about 2%, 82 points. Down 91 was the session lows. Again, just in the last 10 to 15 minutes or so in the NASDAQ composite, down 2 and one-third of 1%. Again, the underperformer here. The reason why the Dow Industrials are now going to be on pace for their worst drop since October 28th, big technology. It's part of the NASDAQ. It's part of the S&P. It's also part of the Dow. But Apple down 5% almost. Microsoft down 3%. Amazon down 1%. Alphabet down almost 2.5% as well. These four stocks and the next six to seven biggest in the S&P 500 are all in the red. That is what's driving things. Mega cap stocks, especially technology oriented, all to the downside. And then check out this one. This is a stock we haven't talked about during the short squeeze phenomenon with Wall Street bets and everything else. This is Macerich. It's one of the biggest mall owners in America and operators in America. It's a real estate investment trust. Those shares are down 11% right now, $17 per share. The reason why I want to highlight this, Brian, is this particular stock's biggest shareholder is the Ontario Teachers Pension Plan. They had about a 16-odd percent stake in the company. In the span of one day on the 27th, They got rid of their entire 24.5 million share stake on that surge up in the stock. So if you are caught in a short squeeze, other people will sell into it, including sometimes the single largest shareholder in any one company. Back over to you, Bri. All right. No, no, we're not done with you, Dom. I got two quick things, a comment and a question. Number one, by the way, there was a mall outside of Vegas which I read today just sold for one and a half million. It was recently assessed at 28 million, a 90% price drop on a mall out in the desert. That kind of shows you how people think about malls. But let me ask you this. Like if you're a big hedge fund that's got its teeth kicked in by the Reddit rebellion or whatever you want to call it, and you need to raise money for margin calls, you're probably going to sell what you can. 
Do you think some of this macro weakness in the names like Apple, easily transactable, do you think margin calls may be having something to do with the macro moves? It's certainly a factor. I mean, and that's what this idea of a gross down is uh, or, or a flattening of positions. What you're looking to do is close out those losing shorts in order to kind of subsidize and take down risk. You're also selling some of those longs. It's also a risk management tool for a lot of these funds. If you have a risk model, a quantitative measure for how much you have at risk at, in the market at any given time, if those models get too far out of whack with regard to how much you have at risk, sometimes you've got to take them down. You've got to flatten out to some cash. That may be what's happening, especially with the hedge fund world. That's one of the reasons why we're talking about yep. that gross down phenomenon so much, Brian. I, that's why I love you. By the way, I tweeted last night that VAR, value at risk, might be a wonky term we heard today. I didn't even tell you that, and then you brought it up. That's why we love you, Dominic Chu. Thank you very much. Well, it certainly has been a wild week with populist investing shocking the markets. The Dow, the S&P 500, and NASDAQ are on pace for their largest weekly losses in about three months. It's also the Dow's first monthly loss since October. Joining us now with the reaction to these moves and where we go from here, our friends Kim Forrest, Chief Investment Officer at Boca Capital Partners, and Mark Smith, Vice President and Portfolio Manager at UBS Wealth Management. Kim, starting with you. I mean, what a week, right? Uh, da- up 500, down 500, down, whatever it is. How much of this, same question to you as I gave to, D- to Dom, do you think it's just people selling to raise money in the face of either needing to or simply a little bit nervous about where these markets may be right now? I absolutely agree with that. And actually, uh, in talking with some of my peers on Wednesday, we figured it out because your super winners were being sold, which makes no sense because the ones that have reported, like Apple, um, they are doing really well and looking into the future. And if you're a fundamental analyst like I am, you say, why are you selling this? And it's because, uh, especially in the semis, the semis really got sold down earlier this week. And it's not because there's uh, a suddenly not a shortage of, for them. But it's because those were the winners. And if you, you know, you had to shove some of the money towards the other side of the balance sheet there. Yeah. You know, Mark, you, you were you're going to be sitting around the dinner table tonight or, and you're, you're going to be like, you know, I thought I was going on to talk about health care. And the doggone anchor asked me about GameStop. <laughs> well, the doggone anchor is going to ask you about GameStop. And I guess the question, how do you make sense or do you have to make sense of what's going on right now. And do you think it's a phenomenon which kind of came out of nowhere that can continue, or does it really just affect a smaller group of stocks that are heavily shorted, low liquidity, and easy to kind of muscle around? Brian, I think you you got it right. This is the uh, the cryptoization of Wall Street. And you're seeing that with a few names. It's not the whole, uh, it's not all of the, uh, all of the markets, but when you have uh, cryptocurrencies going up and down 10, 20 percent for no reason at all um is it to wonder why you have these millennials going in stocks that have no customers no revenue not going to beat uh guidance anytime soon and the stock's up 100 percent in a day so this is what you're seeing uh all the the proliferation of cryptocurrencies we don't know why it goes up or down no one can explain to me on this broadcast why it does and now you're seeing it leak into names that we all know and uh, a lot of the reason a lot of the reason is because folks are following momentum, not fundamentals. Well, and Mark, a follow up to you before I go back to Kim. But but, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. It's what hedge funds do all the time. And here's the thing. 
Somebody, a couple people who then got followed by others, they figured it out. They figured out that hedge funds, which, to be frank, probably acted stupidly, all piled in on shorts on the same names. They left the stock vulnerable to this incredible squeeze, you know, and good for them. They figured it out. Uh, they figured it out for now, but this is going to end bad. There's no way you're going to have the tulip. Uh, I don't know if you remember about 150 years ago, we had tulips going for $20,000 a tulip bud. Well, this is very similar to that. Based on no, no fundamentals, this is going to end badly. And that's why you have uh, these companies saying we don't want to touch it because they're, they're afraid of arbitration. They're afraid of getting sued by all these investors saying, wait a minute, I shouldn't have had my entire retirement account in a stock that has no customers and, and in the middle of a pandemic. No one's visiting us. No one's, you know, no one's traveling. All these different stocks that are having huge run ups. There's absolutely no fundamentals. And you best believe it's going to end badly for the average investor. Um, right now, it looks like the big guy lost, Fair. but uh, stay tuned. The little guy's going to lose, too. Oh, well, you know, not everyone. A lot of people made a lot of money. I wish somebody would say, hey, Sullivan, we put all your money in GameStop a few weeks ago. I hope you don't mind. But uh, alas, <laughs> Kim, that did not happen. In, in, yeah. this, in this weakness, are you picking up any bargains out there outside of these names we keep talking about? Give us a different name. Um, right. Well, I did look at the semiconductor complex and some are down for good reason and some are down for no visible reason. So, um, you know, Micron has sold off from its recent high and that is an area there that we're looking at as well as and I know this is not going to make people happy, but Intel. Uh, Intel has had some stumbles and their biggest competitor seems to be gaining on them. That's AMD. But there's been a change at the top. And it could be that, you know, the company is going to go in a different direction. And it's very much like, uh, and I'm not saying the outcome will be the same. Let's make this perfectly clear. But it, it kind of rhymes with Microsoft in 2012 when Satya Nadella came in. And he was an insider and did things that um, the street didn't really like because they wanted them mm -hmm. to break the company apart. And um, he had a better idea. So um, I'm looking at the new CEO thinking he probably has a better idea. And I'm sticking with that name. Plus, it helps that there seems to be yep. a, a severe shortage for semis, right? Well some, new, well, some new names there. And, Mark, I promise the next time we, you get on, we'll, we'll talk about why you're here, which is health care. But we appreciate your all's flexibility. A big story. Mark Smith, Kim Forrest, thank you both. Have a great weekend. Thank you. You too, All right. Well, if you haven't noticed, thank you. The Reddit squeeze continues today as Robinhood reopens trading in GameStop and others. Now, Robinhood CEO Vlad Tenev telling CNBC last night its move to stop trading in certain stocks was in the best interests of the company. I want to address some of the misinformation that's been out there because there's a lot of it. Um, we absolutely did not do this at the direction of any market maker or hedge fund uh, or anyone we route to or other market participants. Uh, the reason we did it was because uh, Robinhood is a brokerage firm. Uh, we have lots of financial requirements, including SEC net capital requirements. But here's the problem. Robinhood is not just a broker. It's a clearinghouse as well. And without getting into the weeds, pretty much what it means on a very basic level is that it's got a lot of money at risk and it had to go begging to some venture capital partners last night 
to try to shore up its books. Let's bring in our friend, former colleague Kate Kelly, crack New York Times reporter who has the latest on Robin Hood's emergency money situation. And I know without getting into the weeds again, Kate, uh, they're not just an app or a front-facing brokerage, right? They are subject to a lot of the same rules as the big names they are trying to displace, and it burned them yesterday. Yeah, Brian, it's a really interesting story because a part of the value proposition of Robinhood and the reason they've become so popular is that they're, they're just the simple, democratically accessible trading app where you pay no fees um, and you presumably get a swift and attractive execution on your stock trades. And people were taking full advantage of it, as you know, uh, in the last few days, certainly, and, and weeks. And uh, it's become an immensely popular app uh, in the recent past. But the thing is, they're dealing with people's money here, of course. And in a T plus two or three scenario, meaning you get a trade done and then two to three days go by before the money associated with that trade is wired either in and out of your in or out of your account and into another account. Um, you're dealing with real cash here. And when volume and volatility spike tremendously, when the flat price of a stock like GameStop is going up to $400 or $500 uh, in some sort of stratospheric rise, and your traders are really active in that. Now, I understand a lot of people are trading options, which is a much cheaper way to go. But still, that means mm -hmm. that the cash you need to have on hand in order to settle trades and make customers whole is much greater, not to mention the uh, regulatory requirements that Vlad was alluding to, whether yeah. it's the SEC or their member organization, their clearing organization, the Depository Trust is their corporation, which is really what triggered yesterday, yeah. I think. Yeah, and, and, and it was and it was also just the jamming up into one stock, for the most part, GameStop, right? I mean, there's they never anticipated, I think, that kind of volume, value at risk, dollars at risk, et cetera. Do we have any idea if you've got to go to Sequoia or Ribbit Capital or some of these other partners and say, we need a couple hundred million bucks, is there any kind of indication about, um, and I, I want to be careful with my language here, uh, Robinhood's financial situation overall? Was this kind of an on the brink distress? type moment? Uh, I'm just, yeah, I'm trying I mean to be... Listen, we, you and I did this in 08 and 07, right? You got to be careful with the language. Yeah, I, absolutely you do. I, I'm the first to agree. You don't want to call uh, fire in a crowded theater, as it were. Um, I think in this case, it's fair to say it was an emergency and, and quick turnaround capital raise. That's the language that we used in our story. And I think the key is that they have uh, roughly 100 investors and they went to their existing investors, people who already have skin in the game and said, look, uh, we'd like you to provide us with a quick cash infusion. We're going to make the terms attractive for you. We talk about those in our story. And uh, this needs to happen quickly. I mean, they did it essentially within a day. Now, I think that Robinhood would argue the issue for them yesterday, uh, in addition to the unexpected volatility and their obligations under uh, financial regulations, was that the DTCC had increased their margin requirements. So the, the cash cushion effectively that they needed to have on hand. Now, separate conversation to be had somewhere about whether they should have known about that in advance and they should have had a, a liquidity man risk management strategy ahead of this to where they didn't yeah. get into this position. But well, nonetheless- that's it. They seem, um, Kate, that's the point. They, they, seemed, they seem immature about it. I mean, I guess I'm not trying to insult them or their team. I'm just saying, you know, maybe they could never have anticipated this level of interest. I get that. But it makes you wonder, do, do you not have some kind of cash cushion? Did you not have some kind of strategy? This is what we worry about. Companies that are you know, unable to handle these, 
these black swan type events. That's exactly the point. Yeah, no, I think that should be a concern for everybody. Um, and actually, speaking of an earlier uh, event in, in the saga, we're talking about the, the, the teetering Melvin Capital hedge fund that had lost money on its GameStop short, which played some role in Steve Cohen's fund, 0.72, being down nearly 15% year to date earlier this week. I mean, you saw contagion in the hedge fund world that appears for the moment anyway to have been contained. And there could have potentially been contagion in the brokerage and and clearing and counterparty world if this hadn't been addressed yesterday. That doesn't mean we're out of the woods either. So I do think these are systemic concerns. Yeah. I think it's laudable what Robin Hood seems to want to do, which is sort of democratize trading. And there's clearly a market that's very eager for it. So that's important to acknowledge. On the other hand, they're part of the broker dealer, highly regulated and yes. rightly so system in the United States. And uh, they need to take certain steps in order to trade uh, smoothly and to make sure that their customers' money is protected. They are the big boys. Listen, we got to go, Kate. They are. The two founders are or were billionaires. We'll see. They're partnered with billionaires. Ken Griffin, a man you and I both know, and Citadel. So they are in the big leagues now, and they may be free, but they're still big players. Kate Kelly, we'll check out your story at NewYorkTimes.com with our colleague Andrew Ross Sorkin. Kate, thank you very much. Thanks, Sully. All right, take care. On deck, the push for mass production. We will speak with New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio about his call to pharma companies to stand down some of their vaccine patents to make the rollout go faster. We'll talk about schools a bit, opening up safely, as well as restaurants being able to reopen. Plus, the frenzy of trading in certain stocks now getting the attention of some members of Congress who are calling for hearings, potentially investigations. All right, as we head to break, let's get a quick look at the Dow 30 heat map. J&J, despite vaccine results that many most consider positive, stock is down. 3M, Chevron, and Apple also. Many of your big laggards. The Dow is now down at a session low, 730 points, 2.5%. We're back right after this. This is The Exchange on CNBC. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. All right, welcome back. Well, moments ago, the Dow was down more than 700 points, pretty much right at that mark right now, off 695, 2.3%. A lot of broad market contagion either caused by this Reddit rebellion, probably some of those margin calls that we talked about as well. So markets down 700. And also, by the way, the VIX is soaring. Now, we call the VIX the, quote, fear gauge because it generally measures option spreads. But today, I don't think it's a measure of fear. Today, it may actually be measuring action in the options market. Either way, the VIX is up 7% or 22%, uh, seven points on the VIX. It is up big this week. Of course, you've got these huge spreads in some of these options as well, which is really what the VIX is designed to mention and measure, despite the fact that we call it the fear gauge. I don't know if it's fear or volatility, but either way, the VIX is up 22%. 
Well, though Robinhood and Reddit and GameStop are grabbing most of the business headlines, maybe they shouldn't be. There's been a double dose of good news on the vaccine front in just the last 24 hours, which is incredibly important. J&J out with trial results of its one-shot COVID vaccine. This is the pace of vaccinations yesterday was more than a million and a half per day. Let's bring in Meg Terrell. Meg, welcome. All right, there's, there seems to be some confusion over J&J's vaccine effectiveness. The data points seem more positive than some of the headlines in that 66% number may suggest. No? Yes, absolutely, Brian. And part of the confusion is this was a massive trial run across three continents, 44,000 people. And because it was run on three different continents, it captured the effect of these variants that we're so worried about, like B1351 in South Africa. And so when we're seeing in the United States 72% efficacy, we actually don't know because J&J hasn't sequenced every case in the trial if that's picking up any variants. But globally, because they definitely have those variants in South Africa, 66% overall efficacy against moderate to severe COVID-19. Importantly, though, the vaccine prevented severe COVID and death at 85%. So they kept people out of the hospital at that really high rate with just a single shot. In addition, this vaccine can be stored in the fridge at temperatures of 36 to 46 degrees Fahrenheit for three months. So that makes it a lot easier for the distribution of a vaccine like this. Of course, we are worried about these variants like B1351. Two cases were just a announced yesterday in South Carolina, not related to one another, no travel history, suggesting that there is potential community transmission here in the U.S. We talked with J&J's chief scientific officer, Dr. Paul Stoffels, about what this variant means for us in the pandemic here in the U.S. and for vaccines. Here's what he said. We need to be very careful that we need to take very strong action and fast to make sure that we reduce the burden of uh, transmission very quickly so that mutations cannot take place, continue to take place. Uh, we need to be very vigilant on eventually adapting the vaccines if that's needed. And also we already, we didn't know these results until a few days ago. Um, we, were, we started working on, on the South African variant as an, as an additional booster, but we'll see now whether that will be needed with the clinical results we have. So, Brian, you know, people are looking at these results, comparing them to the 94, 95% efficacy we saw with Pfizer and Moderna. That's why you're seeing J&J &J down. Novavax, which had some uh, results from the UK and South Africa last night, up 62%. But Dr. Fauci this morning saying in the absence of that comparison to the mRNA vaccines, he called the J&J &J result spectacular. Brian. Yeah, and we should mention, by the way, Meg, that J&J CEO Alex Gorski, a man you know well, by the way, will be at CNBC's Healthy Returns event on February 9th. That is perfect timing for that. You can register at cnbcevents.com slash healthy returns. Meg, back to you now that we got the promo out of the way. Uh, Novavax, you mentioned it, up more than 60%. Pretty good interim trial data on their COVID-19 vaccine. What exactly do we know about Novavax? Is this an mRNA or is this more of a, quote, traditional vaccine like a J&J? 
Well, actually, it, it's, it is more of a traditional vaccine, but it's not like J&J's vaccine. It's a protein vaccine, which is a more tried and true technology mm. than any of the other ones we've talked about so far. And they ran their trial in the UK and South Africa. They have an ongoing trial here in the United States. We are expecting data from that in March. But what they found is against the prior strains of the virus, 96% efficacy. Against the B117 variant in the UK, 86% efficacy. But against B1351, 49 to 60% efficacy. So that South African variant is very concerning. Uh, but they are talking about once they get the final data from the UK, filing there, and maybe even trying to use that data, the CEO told me this morning, to file it in the United States. But we're going to see what the FDA says about that. Brian? Yeah, and by, and by the way, Meg, it's Friday, right? Even earlier this week, we had pretty good treatment data out of Eli Lilly. 1.6 million vaccines in the arm over the last 24 hours. There's some good news on this fight this week overall, right? There is, Brian, but with these variants, you know, here in the United States yeah. and the specter that they could lead to increased spread, we've got to be so careful. And I, I love the optimism, but I just talked to so many people in public health who are more worried now than they've ever been. And that is scary. I know. But that's good. That's, that, that is their job that, to worry and they'll help keep us safe. Certainly public health is key. And, you know, some of the scientists, you can find a scientist on both sides. Meg Terrell, thank you very much. All right, let's stay now with the vaccine story. New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio out with a new op-ed today saying that every company involved in current vaccine production should stand down on enforcing its patents in order to mass produce vaccines. The mayor joins us now with more on that idea and more. Mayor de Blasio, thank you for joining us on CNBC. Uh, I guess your idea is this, that basically if XYZ Pharma wants to start making more of Moderna's vaccine, they should be able to do it so we can double, triple, quadruple production. Brian, exactly right. And look at the problem you just talked about, the new variants that could take our progress and reverse it if we don't act quickly. But we've got pharmaceutical companies here in America that could be producing the vaccine right now. The notion of standing by patents and you know, corporate differences or rivalries or any of those other business as usual considerations when we're in a wartime crisis, it makes no sense. So President Biden is using the Defense, uh, Defense Production Act. That's crucial. But I think we need the federal government and the companies to get together. We've identified 27 pharmaceutical companies and biotech companies, all of whom could contribute to a true universal vaccine production effort and could get ahead of the assault we're getting from these variants. And have you heard that anybody is going to do it? And where do you stand right now on supplies for New York City? No, I'll tell you, Brian, I'm promoting this idea because I want to see companies in life sciences, companies in the pharmaceutical sector stepping forward and saying, we're ready. We'll do this for our country. We'll do this to save lives. And I want to see the companies with the patents open up that situation. The federal government coordinate. That's what I'm fighting for. But in terms of New York City right now, Brian, it, it, we have a situation that I could only tell you is backwards. We've got the ability now uh, to reach as many as half a million doses in one week. That's what we can administer in New York City. But I've only got about a quarter of that supply on hand from the manufacturers. And I got these variants bearing down on my city. So this is to me just a, a classic example of Let's get that federal leadership to sort of break through all the normal lines, all the normal roadblocks, because really, I'll give you a great example from wartime. In World War mm. II, 
Uh, you had a case of Lockheed getting support from Boeing to create Boeing-designed planes for the war effort. They took Boeing's pat you know, patented design, Lockheed produced. We, uh, Pratt & Whitney had aircraft engines. Ford didn't make aircraft engines. But for the war effort, Ford yeah. took the Pratt & Whitney design, put it on the production line. We got to do that with vaccines right now in this country. Do you have the number of people to actually deliver the jab, to deliver the, it can't just be random people injecting others. There has to be trained professionals that are, I think, certified to do it. Do we have the people and do we have the locations? Because that logistical bottleneck, I've been on the road, Mr. Mayor, in Louisiana, Texas, and Florida, I've seen it. The logistics are part of the problem. It's true, Brian. We're hiring about uh, 2,000 additional vaccinators. But right now we have a really ready supply of folks who are trained, who are able to do it. As you know, it's not that different from when you administer it. It's not that different from a flu shot. We got the refrigeration issues we have to deal with. Yeah. But we have the sites right now in this city, hundreds and hundreds of sites. We could open a lot more if we had supply. I am telling you, this is the key for this whole country. Places like New York City could be doing half a million a week, but can't get anywhere near the supply Let's change the terms of engagement here. Just get the yeah. full might of these industries on one page to get the supply to jump forward. Is this, very quickly, Mr. Mayor, is this one of the reasons that, that restaurants will start to reopen February 14th at 25% capacity indoor? And why not, why not tomorrow? Why wait until February 14th? You know, Brian, I heard you say earlier, schools, and I'll make the parallel, our schools are open in New York City because we are able to take all the precautions needed to keep them safe, to do the testing and the, the PPE, everything we needed. Uh, restaurants, it's going to take some work to get ready to really make sure they're going to be safe. The state of New York decided February 14th. I think it's great that our restaurants will come back, but we need tight protocols, regular inspections to make sure people are safe. Mayor Bill de Blasio of New York calling for more open production of the COVID vaccine. The faster we go, the faster the Big Apple can start to come back. Mr. Mayor, thank you very much for joining us. Have a good weekend, sir. Thank you, Brian. All right, take care. All right, coming up. So what does Stiefel's CEO think about this retail trading rebellion? We're going to find out because we're going to ask him next. Ron Krzyzewski is on. Plus, our Friday find an under-the-radar stock not named GameStop. That is up 21% this week, and it has nothing to do with internet forums. We are back in two minutes. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. All right, welcome back to The Exchange. Well, the markets have come back just a little bit. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. The markets are still down big, 591 in the Dow, but they were down 747 points at one point. And by the way, all the major averages are on pace now for their largest weekly loss in three months. And as I just learned, and this is, dare I say, random but interesting, 
This would be our first 2% down Friday if we land under 2% down since all the way back in June. There you go. All right, let's check the sectors. As you might imagine with a market like this, all the 11 major sectors, they are in the red. Energy, materials, and technology leading the declines. You got the original FANG, Diamondback Energy, Occidental, and Chevron. Some of the biggest laggards on the energy side as well. Utilities and healthcare are holding up the best. They're down, but they're down less than others with Biogen and Hologic leading the way. And take a look at Bitcoin. Remember Bitcoin? Got all the attention until this week. Up double digits, crossing 38,000 earlier. It's now 35,300. Maybe it's just because Elon Musk added the hashtag Bitcoin to his Twitter bio. At this point, your guess is as good as mine. All right, let's get now a news update outside of all of this. For that, welcome in who else? But Sue Herrera. Good to see you, Brian. Thanks so much. Here's what's happening at this hour, everyone. The FBI has raised its reward to $100,000 for information on who placed pipe bombs at the Republican and Democratic National Committee offices. The explosives were found just before the Capitol Hill riots, but the FBI now says those bombs were actually placed the night before. A former FBI lawyer has been sentenced to a year of probation for his actions during the investigation of possible ties between Russia and President Trump's 2016 campaign. Kevin Kleinsmith pled guilty to altering an email used in that probe. Prosecutors had sought prison time. And some good news for one of the most endangered species on the planet. Researchers have produced two more embryos of northern white rhinos, even though the last known male of the species died in 2018. The two remaining known females are infertile, but scientists hope to deliver a baby in about three years with the help of a surrogate mother from a closely related species. And we certainly hope they are successful. That was Nanjin and Fatu that you saw in that video. Brian, back to you. We'd like our kids and grandkids to be able to see these animals. Maybe yeah. not in person, obviously. There'd probably only be a couple of them, but still just have them around. Sue Absolutely. Herrera. Sue, thank you very much. Mm -hmm. All right. All right, time now for your Friday find. Not quite as rare as a white rhino, but hey, it's a name that has been really seen a rally this week without a lot of fanfare or really probably a lot of mentions on Reddit. Today, that is Canopy Growth. The stock hitting a 52-week high earlier today, 20% of the past week. Announcing it has partnered with Martha Stewart, queen of all cannabis, to launch a CBD line of products for pets. The product portfolio will include everything from oil drops to chews. Stock has come a long way, up 74% in a year, traded as low as nine bucks in March 2020 during the market panic lows. It is now just under $41. Canopy Gross, CGC, your Friday fine. All right, up next, brokerage and investment banking firm Stiefel reporting a huge record-breaking quarter and a banner year overall. Stiefel stock outpacing the rest of the financials. The CEO will join us next with a view from Wall Street and his insights on exactly what's going on right now. Stick around. Well, welcome back to The Exchange. Stiefel Financial reporting a big earnings beat today. Net revenues hitting a record for the 25th year in a row, but the stock is down slightly today, perhaps getting caught up in the rest of the market contagion. Still, it's been a good run. Stiefel up 56% in the past six months. Joining us now with a first on CNBC interview is Ron Koshevsky, CEO of Stiefel Financial. And you had 
Investment banking revenues up 18%, almost every division posting better than expected results. Everybody seems to love the quarter. The stock is down though, Ron. What, are you just getting caught up in all the market contagion today? I think so. I mean, we had we had a great quarter. Uh, importantly, our outlook for 2021 is is every bit as optimistic. So you know, look at the markets are going to do what the markets are going to do. Um, I'm very pleased with our results. Uh, you set a 25 consecutive years of record revenue. Not very many investment banks can say that. Uh, and uh, we just had a great quarter records across the board. Uh, so uh, so great and and optimistic. Talk to us. You, you have a retail broker. So talk to us about what you are and your team is seeing, Ron. Is this sort of Reddit rebellion or whatever you want to call it this week? It's really centered around 20 stocks. GameStop getting the most attention, but it's a small number of stocks, generally with low float, high short interest. Are you seeing any knock on effects to other equities because of this? You know, I think that, um, sure, I mean, there's a lot of interest by by uh, investors and, and so-called retail investors. But I look, I think this thing that's going on, the real question is, are, what are we telling our clients? And and uh, there's a lot of, you know, as if this is a new phenomenon. Uh, short squeezes have been going on for over 100 years. It happened in railroads. And what, what I find uh, what people aren't talking about is that, you know, when, when this happens, the stock will go to a level, in this case, GameStop, three to $400. That's not sustainable. That is the clearing mechanism for shorts to get out. And once that's done, this stock will revert back to where it was. And so you we're talking about how much the hedge funds are losing, and they're losing a lot. But there are a lot of longs that are going to lose a lot of money when this trade unwinds. And I, I think that that's where I'm a little concerned that, uh, that people do not understand the risk of, of playing in what is effectively a casino. Well, I mean, Ron, I mean, how do you know that a, that a financially distressed, mall-based, brick-and-mortar video game company that is widely hated by every analyst on the street isn't worth $21 billion? Okay, I, I will say that, you know, as Warren Buffett said at one time, the stock market uh, is a voting machine for a long time. And so you're, the votes are coming in, but eventually it turns into a weighing machine. And unless they completely change their model or do something, that stock's not worth $21 billion. I, I pretty well can confidently can say that. Now, maybe, maybe they bought some land and there's some huge... Uh, well, I can't say oil reserves, that may not be worth anything, but they're sitting on some gold mine, and, and so the value will be there. But I don't think there's anyone that believes that this company's worth 21 to $25 billion. It is a phenomenon of a short squeeze, and there are people coming into this game that have no mm -hmm. idea the risks that they're taking, and there is going to be that. And that speaks nothing about what's going on in the options market. I mean, there's, I think there's 9 million shares that settle today in the op options market on calls that, that uh, people have paid, and there's big premiums being paid. All I'm saying to you, Brian, is that when, this, uh, when the book is written on this trade, it isn't going to be just the shorts that got hammered. They're going to be a lot of longs that are going to lose a lot of money. Yeah. Do you think it calls into question I mean, Robinhood's business model? 
Um, no, I think that I think that I, and one of the things is that uh, that I think people should should understand is that the same reason that the shorts have to cover their positions is because they have margin requirements, and and so the old adage that that uh, a short, uh, the market can be irrational longer than you can be liquid applies to the shorts in this case. But I think in Robinhood, in, in these cases, to the extent that you're doing a lot of trades on the long side, your margin requirements are going up significantly. And uh, because the market requires yep. that we keep some stability. So they've got, they've got huge margin requirements to continue to trade. I do think that one of the things that will come out of this, and some of my friends are gonna mm -hmm. be mad at me for saying this, Payment for order flow is going to get a lot of focus here because these trades are not free. They're not. They're, every yeah. one of these trades, there's a, there's a transfer of value, and I think that that is, is, yeah. is going to come under the microscope. Well, maybe it should. Listen, if something is free, you are the product. By the way, we got we to leave it there, but I got a, I got a text from one there of your investors who said investment, investment banking rocked this quarter, a direct, a direct text. Ron Kershevsky, thank you very much for joining us. Steve, hey, big quarter there. Good Stock to see you. Have a great day, okay? Yeah. Thank you. You too, Ron. Appreciate that. Best to you and your team. All right. All right. Coming up, overall, a big sell-off in the markets today. Stocks on pace for their biggest one-day drop since all the way back on October 28th. We've got a lot more to get to. Dow, down big, 595. We're back after this. All right, you've got a Dow that it's off its lows, but not by much right now. We are headed right now for the worst Friday since all the way back in June. We have not had a down more than 2% Friday since all the way back in early June and sort of coming out of that pandemic haze from the market perspective. Dow down 629, all Dow 30 stocks are lower, seeing a big drop on the S&P 500 as well. Volatility, though, the VIX, that is up 15%. A lot of this whole macro story has been about options, the VIX, Measures option spreads in many ways. And we are seeing the VIX up 15%, and we are back right after this. All right, welcome back. Well, the COVID pandemic has driven something of a municipal bond boom as borrowing reached a 10-year high in 2020. Bonds for a new project reached $250 billion last year, driving total muni debt below $4 trillion for the first time since 2013. But do low rates and narrow credit spreads make a risky environment for investors? Joining us now is Chris Johns, Aquila Family Funds Portfolio Manager. Chris, it's nice to talk about something other than game stunk for once. Um, let, let's talk about this. Listen, we got the prospect of potentially higher taxes in many forms coming. Munis should be really attractive, but I know a lot of people are scared of some of the risk because of, you know, tax Everything is down, right? Tax funds are down. Uh, where are some good investments in the municipal bond market right now? Right. Well, I think the one thing that we've learned in this current environment is that it's kind of reinforced the notion that it's very important to know what you own. Uh, the pandemic has had a, a very wide variety of effects on, from state to state and from municipal bond sector to a municipal bond sector. So credit research is, is really, really important these days uh, to handle that. Um, one of the things I think that's important to know about municipal bonds is that they're a lot different than corporates in the sense that the way they borrow money is really different. They borrow money over a long period of time, say 20 to 20, 
20 to 30 years with a level debt service schedule because they have to balance their budget every year. So even though there has been a big supply mm -hmm. of municipal bonds, it's done fairly responsibly, especially when you uh, include the fact that in the last seven years, roughly somewhere between 20 and 50% of total issuance has been refinancing of higher interest rate debt, which you could argue is is responsible behavior by muni issuers. So it's real important to under, understand those things. Many times uh, the issuers need mm. uh, voter approval too. Well, the 10 year is gonna give me less than 1%, negative with, of course, inflation, real rates. Chris, what would be the median tax-free or almost tax-free return on sort of a, quote, average muni bond? Well, right now, if you looked at a, uh, say, a 10-year AA-rated muni bond, the yield on a bond like that would be about 85 basis points. So, as you would expect, slightly below the, uh, the, the, the Treasury security. But uh, the, the, the taxable equivalent is still an attractive rate. So, if, you know, if you try and compare it to a taxable bond, uh, the rates on tax exempts are still pretty attractive. In our world, we manage single state municipal bond funds, which makes it even more so uh, because you get the, the advantage of exempt from both federal and state income tax. So although the number may seem small, um, the taxable equivalent is still quite attractive. Chris, do you believe that the muni bond market could actually be the subject of a of a of a movement like what we're seeing in some of these heavily shorted stocks? You know, going after a you know municipality which is not doing well. Yeah, the um, you know it, it's a great segue from all this volatility that we see in the stock market here in the last couple of days to talk about an asset class here, municipal bonds, which is relatively sedate. So the short answer to your question is not really. Uh, you know, you have to remember that uh, municipal bonds, you know, are financed in, in many different ways. And if you look at, for instance, state general obligation bonds or even local general obligation bonds that are backed by the taxing authority of the issuer uh, and, and, and also backed by, say, residential property taxes, that's a relatively stable uh, revenue yep. streams. So, so we won't we won't see those that okay. kind of volatility anywhere near that kind of volatility in the muni market. Chris, yeah, Chris Johns of Aquila Family Funds. Chris, good conversation there. We appreciate it. Something different, a little new and fresh. Chris Johns, thank you very much. Have a great day. Uh, All right, folks, so. that does it for us here on the exchange. With the markets are down big. By the way, I will see you tonight for a special two-hour Fast Money, 5 to 7 p.m. Eastern time. Obviously, a huge amount to talk about with the Trader Gang, the options market, and everything in between. 5 to 7, I'll see you tonight. You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.